Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. All right, Palm Sunday. I can't believe it. Could you? Man, is it a beautiful day or what? I'm so glad to see you all here. I never know if it's going to have 100 mile an hour winds. And thank God the juniper seems to have grown. And so we're through that. The rest of you all who struggle with uh, allergies, I'm sure there's other stuff out there, elm and whatever else. Uh, For me, it is uh, juniper. And I'm someday going to ask the Lord after about two billion years why he created juniper and just wonder what's the deal with that stuff, you know. But it's Palm Sunday, and I, I tell you, this uh, causes us to reflect on, on just the, the week, doesn't it? The Lord coming into Jerusalem and uh, his messiahship, uh, his apparent acceptance by all these people who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and clearly as he uh, begins to go through this week and the different things that he faced Uh, We talk about Good Friday, we talk about how the Lord was arrested, and then he was beaten, and then he was tried, it was a mock trial, whether it was before Caiaphas, whether it was before Herod, whether uh, it was before uh, the Roman courts, It, it doesn't matter, it was all a mockery, it was a farce, and yet, in the midst of it, the Lord Jesus Christ faced it all, went through it with grace. And why did he do this? He did it for us. He did it to go to the cross to shed his blood so that we may have forgiveness of sins. When? When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we recognize that we need him. When we change our minds, repent regarding what we used to think and now understand and recognize through the inspiration of God working in our lives to bring us to a point where we realize that what he did for us is necessary for our salvation, for our forgiveness. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity then to be saved. And what a beautiful truth that that's a done deal. Anybody say amen with me? <laughs> amen, right? It's a done deal. It's not based on works prior to or after. It's based on what Christ has done and what God has promised when we believe in him. Glory, heaven, eternal life, is ours. And now we have the privilege of walking with him day by day, moment by moment, being changed from the inside out by the Lord Jesus Christ himself who has come to live within us. What a beautiful picture that is. Unfortunately, Palm Sunday kind of has a bit of fakery to it, doesn't it? It has one of these moments that you recognize obviously some people saw the Lord and understood who He really uh, was at that moment. But then you had a whole group of people who really clearly did not. They recognized certain things about him. They began to declare him a prophet. They wanted him to be their king. They wanted him to rescue them immediately. But they didn't understand the deeper truth. They didn't understand the reality of the spiritual divine nature here in the sense of our need of forgiveness of sin. What they were looking at is the oppression from a temporal perspective. So we're going to look at a few things this morning, and then we're going to lead into our time of communion, a time of remembrance. As we walk through this week, we walk through the fact that Christ went to the cross for us and gave his life so that we, when we believe in him, may have life. Let me give you four things this morning as we talk about Palm Sunday. First of all, there's his divine ability. 
his divine ability. You know, the truth is, I, nobody denied this. Nobody denied it. <laughs> Everybody recognized his divine ability, even the Pharisees. But the Pharisees wanted to kill him for it. That's an amazing thing, right? Remember when he rose Lazarus from the dead? What did they do? They recognized, oh, no, no, this guy's dangerous. So now what are we going to do? Well, we got to get together and let's figure out how we can kill him. Can you imagine that? Folks, religious flesh is really wicked, really wicked. His divine ability, his anguish. I'll tell you, one of the things that's always struck me about the Lord in such a beautiful way is his compassion, his compassion, his anguish for the lost. That's an amazing thing when you look at the Lord. And obviously all of us have been the recipients of that because the Lord knows us and he certainly knew me (laughs) and he knew that I needed him. Praise God. Fourthly, or thirdly, excuse me, his authority, his authority. My father's house, I love this. And he's declaring himself to be God by saying that. And lastly, his unique assignment, his unique assignment. So first of all, his divine ability. If you look at Matthew chapter 21, and we're not going to necessarily read through this entire section, but I do want to highlight some things here. Uh, Verses 1 and following, Matthew 21. And uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit because there's different passages that we find different things, whether it's in Mark or whether it's in Luke. So hang on to your hats. If you've got a digital phone, just, you know, kind of open up a new thing, and then you can be able to jump back to where we were, and it'll be all good. Matthew 21 says, When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And this is out of Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. In Mark eleven two, you don't have to turn there, I'm just sharing this with you. You can check me on it. But he tells us that the colt had never been ridden before. The colt had never been ridden before. The Lord had complete control over this animal. What's interesting is that he was riding in on a donkey. He was coming for mercy and grace rather than judgment and or justice. In Revelation 19, which by the way, we're starting after Easter, Revelation, right? So pray for me. Uh, that's quite a study, and I'm going to wear armor throughout because I know everybody's got an opinion on Revelation. Um, in Revelation 19, he says the next time that he's coming, he's coming on a white horse, and what's he going to do? He's going to judge. He's coming as a king going to war, a war against sin, a war against the unrepentant unbelievers. It's an amazing journey. But here he's coming on a donkey. And the idea is that he's coming in peace to Jerusalem, to establish peace. Verse 6, the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, brought the donkey and the colt, laid their coats on them, and he sat 
on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, they're quoting from Psalm 118, verses 22 through 29. And when you see this phrase, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, they are declaring him to be their Messiah. That is the context of chapter 118 out of Psalms. In fact, it says this, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That is a specific reference to the Lord Jesus Christ himself being the most essential element of the foundation. If he isn't there, the entire foundation doesn't work, the building will collapse. He goes on, the psalmist, and says, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you have used that reference to speak about uh, a Monday? Okay, so maybe not Monday, maybe Thursday, thank, or Friday, thank God it's Friday. This is the day the Lord has made, let us be, rejoice. Listen, folks, it's not referring to a specific day of the week. The day. It's a messianic psalm. He's talking about the salvation that God will provide through the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Folks, that's an amazing truth. All these people recognize this, but they could only see the temporal, many of them. They didn't see the spiritual. He goes on, he says, O Lord, do save. We beseech you, O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I give thanks to you. You are my God. I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. The people began to shout out, Hosanna! <laughs> Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, what's interesting to me is they called Jesus a prophet. And when you begin to think through that, we tend to think of prophets not as those who uh, tell something ahead of time. We have the canon of Scripture complete, and so we don't believe uh, in prophets in the sense of somebody who's saying something that's going to happen well before it does. We believe that prophets or the gift of prophecy is more of a preaching gift. It's more of a confronting of truth to the people of God with regard to their relationship to the Lord, and therefore it is the declaration of the word of God. Well, the Israelites, the Jewish people, had a whole context with regard to prophets. And what's interesting is they weren't just looking at a prophet as somebody who declared, thus saith the Lord, or this is going to happen unless, or this is going to happen regardless. 
I believe they looked at a prophet as also somebody who is a deliverer, a deliverer. Uh, Judges is filled with this. God would raise up somebody who's a judge, who was a prophet, and they would come in and they begin to say, this is what God says, this is what we are to do. And the Lord would use that individual in order to help free the people from the oppressors. The Midianites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and all the ites. What's interesting is, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34, it basically says this, What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the what? The prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. What do you think they're saying? They're saying Jesus of Nazareth is a prophet. He's going to deliver us. Hosanna, save us. What? Now. In what way? In what capacity? From Roman oppression. Make us the people like we used to be at the center of human history, powerful, mighty, free, prosperity reigns. They were not thinking from the divine viewpoint, but rather they were thinking from their own understanding of what salvation meant. The people were looking to Jesus to save them now, clearly meaning from Roman oppression. How often do we do the same thing? How often do we do the same thing? You get into a circumstance, you go through something, you begin to walk through a situation, and you immediately begin to cry out to God to save you from the immediate context of whatever we think is necessary in our lives, rather than yielding to the Lord in the midst of the circumstance to experience the deeper spiritual work that the Lord has for us in the midst of that circumstance. James says it well, count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Why? Because we know that there's a testing. We know there's a maturing that takes place within the believer. We know that God in us will begin to be revealed through us, that not only we ourselves will be continuing to be transformed and renewed, but that then through us, God's life will begin to be revealed. See, one of the things that's interesting to me is we do this exact same thing. Lord, save us now. And what we mean by that is from the immediate problem that we think we need to be rescued from instead of yielding to the Lord and saying, have thy will, not mine, but thine be done. Well, the Lord in Luke chapter 19, as he's coming or approaching Jerusalem, he weeps, he weeps. In Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, it says, When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. 
And this is what he said, if you had known in this day, speaking of Jerusalem, even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And he's obviously speaking of himself as their Messiah, the one who could come and cleanse them, forgive them of sin, that when they would accept him, that he would immediately usher in that which has been promised, which is the messianic reign. But because of their rejection overall as a nation of him, judgment was going to come. And we know that 70 years later, approximately, the Roman army came in. 70 AD, the Roman army came in and leveled the place, killing who knows how many. The Lord wept, wept. You know, the word wept here is really an interesting word because you remember when the Lord was standing at the, the tomb of Lazarus and it says, Jesus wept, right? You remember that? Shortest verse in the entire Bible. Everybody can memorize it. It's very, very easy. <laughs> that word wept, speaking of Lazarus, do you know what that means? It means he shed a tear or tears. Do you know what it means here? He's looking out over Jerusalem. He's about to come into this. He knows exactly what's going to transpire over this particular week. And it says that he wept over Jerusalem. It means with loud cries of anguish, with deep anguish from within, weeping over the unrepentant hearts, the hardened hearts of those who would receive him one day but call for him to be crucified in effect the next. Loud anguish, visible distress and sorrow over what he knows is about to happen. It's a different scene. It's a different idea. Jesus wept. Matthew 24, 2, the Lord predicts exactly what's going to happen. Remember, the disciples began to look at all the the buildings, the Temple Mount. And if you've ever been to Israel, it is amazing. It's amazing. You look at these massive stones. But he says to them, the Lord says to the disciples, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And he's speaking of this moment where the Romans will come in and destroy. He weeps. He weeps. Why does he weep? Because he knows of the judgment to come. He knows of the trial and the tribulation that is a direct result of an unrepentant heart. Let me ask us something today. Do we weep over those who don't know Christ? Do we weep knowing that if they don't repent, if they don't change their mind concerning who the Lord Jesus Christ is and their need of him, if they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will not be saved and that they will face a judgment that is eternal. How, how do we respond to that? How do we begin to reflect the compassion, the anguish that the Lord has? Because, friends, I, I want to tell you this. 
I don't believe that you can say that you're rightly related to the Lord, you're yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're growing in Christ, being transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and not have compassion and or a heart for the lost. I don't believe the two can go together. How are we, as the people of God, who've been saved by the grace of God, how are we coming before the Lord saying, Lord, here I am, use me in whatever way you choose. Whether it's a Facebook, hey, I'm gonna invite a friend. Whether it's at the, at the restaurant, where you look at your waiter or waitress and say, we're about to pray, how can we pray for you? Wherever it is, whatever it is, however the Lord leads you, are we willing, as we said last week, to say, yes, Lord. Whatever it is that you have before us, however you lead, whatever you place before us, and we know that it's from you, we're willing to say yes to you. Because in that moment, you may not think of it as a missional moment. It may not be going to Burma. But other people may be watching and they recognize something unique in your life, in my life, and we have the opportunity of giving a true, accurate testimony of the grace of God in our lives. Anguish. In Matthew 21, if you look at verse 12 and following, there's the story where he drives out the money changers and we see his authority. Do you realize this is the second time he's done this? <laughs> he did it three years before. He did it three years before at the beginning of his ministry, and now he's doing it at the end of his ministry. Evidently, the lesson was not learned. Jesus enters the temple, drives out all those who were buying, selling in the temple, overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he says to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus says to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. We get this picture pretty clearly, right? They had gone into the court of the Gentiles. They set up all their tables. They were selling what was necessary to the people for the offerings, for the sacrifices. They were doing it at exorbitant rates. They were ripping people off. And the court of the Gentiles was supposed to be a place where even the Gentiles could come and recognize that there is one God and that he is in Israel. But instead... The religious leaders had set it up so that it was all about money. It was all about business. The Lord says, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. And you've made it into a place of thievery. Oh. Cleans it out. That didn't really get them brownie points with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the leading men. Now they really, they really wanted to kill him. But the question in many ways, is prayer a mark of our church? Is prayer a mark of our church? I, I know many churches and, and there are many times where I'm impressed or I kind of come away wondering, is this just a business network? Or is it the body of Christ? 
Is it a place where prayer takes place? Is it a place where the worship of God is lifted high, where the word of God is lifted high, where people's lives are being changed and transformed because of the attitude and the activity of the body of Christ? Oh, we got to be so careful about that, don't we? Are those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who perhaps from a world's perspective don't look very lovely because they've been caught up into sin in some way, do they feel welcomed here? Do we put our arms around them and say, hey, friend, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. And it's not just a religion, it's a relationship. God loves you, and we want you to know him. Do they feel welcomed? What about praise? The children were praising the Lord. How ought we be like the children, praising the Lord? Giving him glory and honor for who he truly is. Believing like children. How awesome children believe. Wholeheartedly, without reservation. How do we believe? And how are we praising the Lord as a result? Well, lastly, and I don't think we ought to miss this, but Luke 19, verses 47 through 48. He drives out the money changers. He begins to heal the sick and the lame, and he begins to comfort those who are hurting. The children are praising him. But don't miss the unique assignment that he has of teaching. It says this, he was teaching daily in the temple. He was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. Now, folks, that doesn't mean they were trying to attack his character or take away some of the authority that he had. They, they were trying to kill him. They were coming up with a plan ever since Lazarus. And they, boy, they had been confronted so many times by the Lord. They had been embarrassed so many different times. Their flesh had been poked. Their religious pride had been cut. And now it's, it's on. They want to kill him. They want to destroy him. They could not find anything that they might do. And listen to this. For all the people were hanging on to every word he said. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Every preacher's dream. <laughs> right? But why? Is it because of the preacher? No, it's because of the word of God. It's because God, using his word, begins to minister life to the people of God. They begin to say, this is essential. This is the most important thing. How can we yield to Christ and say yes to the Lord and walk with him in what it is that he has for us? How are we, the people of God, walking in alignment with who God is and what he's able to do in and through our lives by his grace? He was teaching. He is the word of God. And he's teaching truth in a way that the people have never heard. And they were hanging on every word. It's a beautiful picture of hunger and thirst that can only be fulfilled by Christ himself. Do we hunger and thirst after his righteousness? Do we hunger and thirst after him? Have we become so comfortable with what we know that we, we really don't want to grow anymore? 
we really don't want to get challenged anymore. Because we think we've been there. We've done that. We've put our time in. Folks, there's so many different ways to go with this. Let me just ask you, are we willing, as we said last week, to follow through and walk with the Lord day by day? And just say, Lord, this is your day. It's your time. My life is not my life. It's your life. And how do I grow in Christ? I get into the word of God and I begin to walk with him and experience him. Spiritual pride is one of the most deadly diseases, if I could put it that way, to spiritual health and life in an individual's life, in a body, a church's life. Because when we get to the point where we're so proud that we don't think we need the Lord any longer and we become tone deaf to what God is saying through his word to each and every one of us, that's a very bad place to be. And if we're the children of God and we truly are, then what does God do when we get to that point? I would encourage you this. He disciplines us. And thank God for it. Thank God for it. Because we begin to realize how dependent we really are on him. I don't know that I like the discipline, but I begin to understand what it's for, and I begin to understand the heart of the Lord in the midst of it so that I begin to walk with him and learn more of him and grow in him in spite of my stubborn, obstinate flesh. Amen? See, this is what the Lord is giving to us as a picture. Here's Palm Sunday. All these people are coming. You know, there's probably about 2 million people in Jerusalem at this point for the Passover. And they're all coming and they're all gathering and they're all listening to this uh, idea that he's a prophet. They all begin to say, save us now, meaning to save us from Roman oppression. They don't understand the deeper things. And then the Lord Jesus Christ begins to clean out the temple. He begins to clean out the house of God. And he begins to say the truth. He begins to teach them the reality of who he is and their need of him for the forgiveness of sin. And the people are hanging on every word. What a beautiful truth. How are we walking? How are we praising him? How are we functioning in such a way, individually and corporately, that we're just simply saying, Lord, you lead us. You're the shepherd. You, you take the lead. You take the front. We want to follow you, and we want to be changed by you. How are we willing to express the reality of what God has done in our lives, is doing through our lives to those around us who hear about Easter, and they think of an Easter bunny. They think of a Cadbury egg. I like Cadbury eggs, but let's be honest, that is not what Easter is about. How as the people of God are we willing to say, hey friend, let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you what he went through for us. Let me tell you what he went through for me so that I could even be here to have the privilege of sharing with you in the first place. Let me tell you about the hope that I have in Christ. Well, the Lord went to the cross for us, amen? And I'm amazed by this. He was never uh, in a hurry. He was never in a rush. He was never trying to, you know, get somewhere and was worried about being late. Right? Every time I do this, I think about this. I think, oh, Lord, amen, you're sovereign over my time. Even when I make dumb decisions, you're sovereign over it. And you can accomplish your will in spite of me. 
The truth of the matter is, are we willing to follow the Lord and say yes to him? And how are we remembering? How do we reflect on what Christ did for us at the cross? Specifically this week is so many who don't know the Lord think that by coming to church, they're somehow earning a spiritual check mark that they hope is going to get them into heaven. Oh, how would God use us in the midst of this week and this time to say, friend, let me tell you, the only way to come into heaven is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the promise is beautiful. You shall, you will be saved. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 